0: Welcome to Created to Rain, a production of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, a ministry dedicated to educating the public and policymakers on biblical earth stewardship, economic development for the poor, and the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I'm Cal Beisner, President of the Cornwall Alliance, and today I'm going to focus on that second focus of our ministry, Economic Development for the Poor. What are the indispensable conditions for a whole society to rise and stay out of poverty? To put hunger, malnutrition, inadequate housing, poor education, and lack of medical care behind? To say goodbye to high rates of infant and child mortality and low life expectancy? History makes the answer pretty clear. First, there's a set of five social institutions— private property rights, entrepreneurship, free trade, limited government, and the rule of law. Then there's a basic material necessity—reliable, affordable, abundant energy. Because the Cornwall Alliance began with concerns about the environmental movement, much of which has embraced fears of catastrophic man-made global warming driven by the use of fossil fuels— the most technically feasible source of reliable, affordable, abundant energy for most societies, we have tended to focus a lot on energy. But today, I want to focus on just one of those five social institutions indispensable to any whole society's rising and staying out of poverty. Remember, the five are private property rights, entrepreneurship, free trade, limited government, and the rule of law. The one out of those five that I want to focus on is limited government. What prompted me to focus on limited government was reading, in Vaclav Smil's fascinating book, How the World Really Works, A Scientist's Guide to Our Past, Present, and Future, this brief statement. Quote, the atomization of knowledge has not made any public decision-making any easier. Unquote. How does the atomization of knowledge relate to limited government? Let me explain. I'll begin with what Smeal means by the atomization of knowledge. Just what is that? Well, let's start with another concept. Renaissance man. A Renaissance man was someone whose knowledge might be described as encyclopedic, spanning the whole range of human knowledge and going to considerable depth in every part, You could meet real Renaissance men on Florence's Piazza Signoria in 1500, Smeal wrote, but not for too long after that. By the middle of the 18th century, two French savants, Denis Diderot and Jean-Lerande d'Alembert, could still gather a group of knowledgeable contributors to sum up the era's understanding in fairly exhaustive entries in their multi-volume encyclopedia. But then scientific discoveries so broadened and deepened human knowledge that in our day, quote, "...it is impossible to sum up our understanding even within narrowly circumscribed specialties. Such terms as physics or biology are fairly meaningless labels." and experts in particle physics would find it very hard to understand even the first page of a new research paper in viral immunology. Bye-bye, encyclopedic knowledge. Hello, ignorance. The ignorance all of us have to accept with reference to all but the narrowest sliver of knowledge. The atomization of knowledge is its division into tiny bits, only a comparative few of which can be comprehended in any depth by any individual. It is this that, as Smill put it, has not made any public decision making any easier. Or, to put it the reverse way, it is this atomization of knowledge that makes public policy making increasingly difficult. Why should the atomization of knowledge do that? I stopped and pondered that for a while. Then it struck me. It's because we expect public policy to address so many different aspects of life. So I wrote this note in the margin, or rather, I put it in my Kindle version of the book. Quote, This is a problem only to the extent that public policy is expected to be wide-reaching. If it stops at protecting against fraud, theft, and violence— the last encompassing preventing war by being prepared to defeat an aggressor, there is no need for those who make it to be informed of the minutiae of esoteric scientific or any other knowledge. Think about it with me for a moment. If our governments, at all levels, were restricted to protecting against fraud, theft, and violence, including against military invasion— Would public policy have to be informed by deep knowledge of esoteric scientific fields? I don't think so. At least, not so much as they try to be now, and don't typically succeed very well. I can imagine someone saying, But what about regulations against harmful pollution, as an example of something requiring deep knowledge by government agency. Don't those require deep knowledge of physics, chemistry, and biology? Without such regulations as part of public policy, won't people be subject to disease and death driven by pollution? The question assumes that government agencies and their employees must provide that knowledge. But that isn't necessary. If government prohibits violence, the harmful invasion of people's bodies, it's not necessary for government agents to know all the different ways that can happen. It's only necessary that it adjudicate claims that it has happened. And for that, it can rely on the testimony of those who do have that knowledge. Say, for instance, someone claims to have been harmed by chemical runoff from a farm. Must the sheriff or the district attorney or the judge be experts in biochemistry to adjudicate the claim? No. It's the responsibility of the plaintiff to provide convincing evidence, some of which may consist of expert witnesses, that the chemical could and did cause his illness. And it's the responsibility of the defendant to counter that evidence. As an aside, by the way, what I'm gesturing toward here is the possibility that tort action, using the courts to adjudicate claims of harm, might be, in many instances, a more efficient means of preventing harm from pollution than regulation. But that's a topic for another day. Now, I'll concede that things aren't quite this simple. Some expertise is necessary to some government functions. But I can't help wondering how much we could shrink our governments if we just didn't expect them to be so deeply involved in so many aspects of our lives that require esoteric knowledge If, in fact, we would restrict them to those basic functions of prohibiting, preventing, prosecuting, and punishing fraud, theft, and violence. Quite a bit, I'm sure. In 2020, combined federal, state, and local government spending in the United States was just under half of our gross domestic product. That's half of everything that Americans earned. Suppose we could shave off just a fourth of government spending by applying this kind of thinking. That would have reduced government spending from 2020's 48% to 36%. It would have left an average of roughly $7,650 per person in our pockets. That by itself is more than half of China's GDP per capita, and three times India's. For a family of four, it's over $30,000. How does that relate to lifting and keeping whole societies out of poverty? It's not just the direct difference it could make in personal income. It's also the difference it could make in capital investment. The more money government takes out of the economy, the less can be invested in productive enterprise, and hence the less production occurs. Capital investment over time is crucial to overcoming poverty. So I leave you with this thought. Why not with the aim of speeding economic growth to lift more people out of poverty, embrace the idea of smaller government, limited government as we put it in our list of social institutions indispensable to lifting and keeping whole societies out of poverty. In my book, Prosperity and Poverty, The Compassionate Use of Resources in a World of Scarcity, An Introduction to Economics from a Biblical Worldview Perspective, I spend three chapters developing, from the Bible, a vision of limited government. You can order the book from our online store at cornwallalliance.org slash shop. We'll put a link to that in our show notes for your convenience. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy these podcasts, please tell your friends about them and leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That helps us reach more people with our message about biblical earth stewardship, economic development for the poor, and the gospel of Christ the cornwall alliance is a 501c3 nonprofit organization to support us with your tax deductible gift just go to cornwallalliance.org/donate thank you and until next time god bless